Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> ah, hello there. So delighted to see you return to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and you have came on a very auspicious day as one of our close friends here at the shop, a fiend, I mean friend that we know as the Creep, sent us a little care package. Uh, as you'll notice, this uh, small crate that he sent us marked Image 10, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This is full of goodies, and of course, as you are here right now, I will share these treasures with you. So without further ado, let's pull out the mutoscope and take a look at the Shudder Original Creep Show Season 4. So if you listen to the show for any period of time, you know that I'm a huge Stephen King fan and a huge fan of the Creep Show franchise, for the most part. Of course, the, the original, back in 1982, George Romero, uh, Stephen King, getting together to do this anthology film full of Stephen King's works was just a, a masterpiece of horror. Then, of course, in 1987, the sequel came out, and while I, I know a lot of people don't like it as much as the original one, I really do love Creepshow 2. It actually has one of my favorite Stephen King short stories in it, The Raft, and uh, just a fan of both of these movies. Now, there is a Creepshow 3 that came out, but it doesn't have anything to do with Romero. It doesn't have anything to do with King, and to be honest, because of that, I've never even watched that. But when Creepshow, the television series, came out on Shudder back in 2019, of course, that was the reason I got Shudder, and that's one of the many reasons that I keep Shudder, and I'm, I'm such a fan of the, the Shudder streaming service. But this came out uh, season one in 2019, they actually filmed season two and season three back to back uh, during the pandemic, and those both came out in 2021. Uh, not very far apart. I think season two came out in April of 2021. Season three came out in September of 2021. And then, of course, this past October, Friday the 13th, we got an excellent haunted season treat as season four of Creepshow hit Shudder. And, of course, I couldn't wait uh, to, to eat it all up. Uh, and it was kind of funny because you had... Fall of the House of Usher came out on Netflix uh, just like a day before. Uh, I think that came out on Thursday the 12th. Creepshow came out on Friday the 13th. And that is a lot of content. Of course, you have eight episodes of Usher. You have six episodes of Creepshow. About an hour each, give or take. And so I had uh, like hours of content to watch. Not to mention some movies that have come out that I'm trying to watch that we're going to get episodes up as, as soon as uh, humanly possible, or maybe inhumanly possible. But I have to say, uh, right off bat, before we get into any spoiler territory, I really did like season four of Creepshow. It's kind of hard, without going back and re-watching some of those other seasons, whether I can say I like this season better or or less than any other season. I don't think it's my favorite season. I will go that far. But that's not to say it wasn't a good season. Uh, it's not to say it wasn't an, an enjoyable season. And that's not to say that it didn't have any, or, or it didn't have a, a lot of good episodes and a lot of good writing and directing, because I think it had all of those. Uh, you know, I, I'm not one for ranking things. That's so subjective. Uh, because, you know, my favorite things aren't going to be your favorite things. I'll talk about what I really like and what I really don't like. But, you know, if you're going to like it, you're going to like it. If you're not going to like it, you're not going to like it. My sole purpose here is just to tell you my thoughts on it. Maybe give you something to think about if you did or didn't like it. And maybe give you a perspective that if you went back and watched it, you might see something in a different way. But ultimately, I just like talking about horror, fantasy, and science fiction. And that's what I like about 
the Creep Show series because Greg Nicotero has kind of taken the helm with this. And of course, he knew George Romero quite intimately, working with him and being a student of his. And this show really is a love letter to George Romero. And in that, you get little love letter episodes to George Romero. And we actually have one in this. Uh, of course, Season three had one, uh, A Dead Girl Named Sue, which kind of takes place on the same night of Night of the Living Dead. There's also Night of the Living Late Show, where they actually used archival audio from George Romero to to recreate his voice for that. And and that is something that uh, Greg Nicotero wanted to do for his George Romero episode, but just didn't really have the time to do it. But I still think it worked to a degree what they did do with that. And we'll, we'll get into the individual episodes and what I thought of the individual stories here briefly. Uh, before once we get into some spoiler territory but ultimately I did like this uh, I thought the premiere episode episode one probably one of the best episode two was really solid three was really good four was good episode five I really liked one of the stories in that doodles I thought was was excellent and then the season finale I, I didn't think it was as strong as it could have been like season three ended with that uh, a dead girl named Sue which was just dynamite way to end season three. And I don't think you had that. I I know you have the George Romero tribute in this. and, And while it was good, it just didn't have the impact that a dead girl named Sue had, but doesn't mean it wasn't good. And then the the last story we get baby teeth was, I, I had issues with that as well, but the, the creature effect. And, that, and that's, again, one of the beauties of this is because Greg Nicotero and KNB effects are, are just really masters of doing a lot of practical work. And that's one of the things that I, I have such a hard time with is when movies and shows use CG way too much and they rely on it and the CG just isn't that good unless you're pouring tons of money into it and tons of time into it and time is money in the world of Hollywood uh, you're just not going to get believable visual effects with with CG but when you do it practically man some of those and some practical effects can be kind of hokey and bad But for my money, bad practical effects are just leaps and bounds better than bad CG. And of course, with this, you're not getting bad practical effects. You're not getting bad practical makeup. Uh, You got guys, you know, Greg Nicotero and his group have been doing uh, some fantastic work in the world of zombies with Walking Dead and and so many other movies and, and TV series that you really get some excellent practical effects. And that, I think, is probably one of the things that just keeps me coming back for more with with Creepshow, because it does have horror, it does have some scary moments, it does have some camp, and some of that kind of tongue-in-cheekness that you would get with a series that is supposed to be mirroring a, a comic book, some of those old horror comics from back in the day. But ultimately, with this series, you get a, a fun ride, a horrific ride, a gory ride, sometimes a scary ride, sometimes a funny ride, but it all ties in to, to make some fantastic horror stories that, like I said, really harken back to some of those tales that you would get in those horror comics. And this season is no different. Well, I don't think this is the best season that we've had of of Creepshow. Uh, I still think this is a solid season. I don't think there's been a bad season yet of Creepshow, but this is certainly a solid season, and I I really can't rank it in, in any way. Like I said, that is all subjective anyway, but there are a lot of really good episodes in this so if you haven't watched creep show season four if you haven't watched creep show period I, I encourage you to get shutter like i said i'm not being paid by shutter to show for them i just really think if you're a horror fan and you don't have shutter uh why not because it's not that expensive and you really do get a lot of good content you get a lot of the good classic movies you get shows like creep show and for me, Creep Show was worth getting Shutter to begin with. So, so go check it out, even if you just get it for a month and and burn through all four seasons. Uh, what that's like six, maybe seven bucks tops. Definitely worth the money 
to to check out Creep Show and check out Creep Show season four. So if you haven't watched it, go check it out. Come back here, my thoughts on Creep Show season four. Uh, but from here on out, we are going to get into some spoiler territory. So if you have watched it or you don't care one way or the other, you're just interested to hear what I had to say about it. Uh, God bless you. You're doing God's work. But uh, from here on out, we are going to have some spoilers. So we're going to take this episode by episode. And each episode in the traditional creep show format has two different stories. So we're going to talk briefly about them. Uh, I'm not going to get into too lost in the weeds of each episode. We're going to talk about some of the actors that I thought were particularly good. There's a lot of actors you don't know. I mean, some seasons of creep show have higher profile actors than others. This is one that had a couple, I, I not even say high profile actors, but a couple actors I've known recently because of Mike Flanagan's work. But all in all, there aren't a ton of really well-known actors in this. And that's, I think that's probably one of the drawbacks because some of the acting isn't that great. Now, that's kind of hard to judge though because some of the dialogue in a lot of these stories is quite campy and quite tongue-in-cheek. And I think the writing can sound bad, but I think the writing is also writing trying to emulate some of the dialogue you would get in a horror comic. Because so many of these stories are campy and are a little cheesy, but that's because it is supposed to emulate the kind of story you would get in a horror comic back in the, the 60s or the 70s. Things in this show may be over the top and ridiculous, but that's kind of how it was in some of those horror comics. So for my money, I, I can be a little more forgiving if dialogue is bad. I can I can be a little more forgiving if the performance isn't what I thought it would be because it's a little over the top. Because I think that is what some of these writers are actually going for given the fact that you're going to have cuts between scenes that look like you're looking at the pages of a comic book. So I'll I'll be a little more forgiving on that. But you do have some really good writing. You do have some really good directing in this. Uh, some directors and some writers that you've come to know in the creep show world, at least the creep show TV series world, uh, Greg Nicotero directs a couple episodes. John Esposito, I know he's done a, a lot of work on Creep Show. Some other ones. So, uh, you know, when you're talking about the writing and directing, I, I think that is still top notch. Whether you care for the acting style that they're going for, that's a different story. But this first episode, we have uh, two stories, 20 Minutes with Cassandra and Smile. The 20 Minutes with Cassandra is the opener for the season of Creep Show. And the one thing I found interesting, one, this is directed by Greg Nicotero. It is his, you know, KNB uh, on full display of monster makeup and horror makeup, which is fantastic. But it's also written by Jamie Flanagan, Mike Flanagan's brother. And of course, Mike Flanagan, we just talked about him on Monday's episode with the fall of the House of Usher. And I made a, a little bit of a joke. I didn't get to talk about it on the podcast episode. But when I posted that we had this new episode up on Instagram, I, I joked about it being uh, this show from Mike Flanagan and the Mike Flanagan players. Because Mike Flanagan is one of those directors, much like a, a Frank Darabont, kind of like the, the early days of... Uh, American Horror Story, where you have this like troop of actors that just show up in, in everything. And we've had some of the same actors going back to Gerald's Game, Midnight Mass, The Midnight Club, now Fall of the House of Usher, The Haunting of Hill House, The Haunting of Bly Manor, all, all these Mike Flanagan stories with, with all these same actors playing different roles. And, and I think that's brilliant. That's, I think, one of the things I love most about American Horror Story is that you had this like troop of actors and it was like you were going to uh, a theater and, and watching different performances with these same actors, which uh, to me is always very interesting. And, and I love that Mike Flanagan does this. But Jamie Flanagan, uh, Mike's brother, wrote this episode of 20 Minutes with Cassandra. And it stars Samantha Sloyan and Ruth Codd from so many different works of, of Mike Flanagan. Samantha Sloyan has been in most of them. Uh, Ruth Codd was in The Midnight Club and Fall of the House of Usher. Brilliant young actress. And this is a really interesting story. You have this woman. She's kind of... Uh, she's kind of on her own. Very, she feels very isolated. And all of a sudden, this 
This girl barges in and says, I'm sorry, but you're going to die in 20 minutes. There's a monster chasing me and anybody who helps me is going to die. And right there, that hooks you like, what the F is going on here? And it turns into a monster home invasion story where you get bits of horror. The first delivery guy showing up, the pizza delivery guy was such a a heartbreaking scene and such a a wonderfully soft and tender scene but the way it ended with a with an explosion of blood was was just a it was gory and tragic then the reveal of the monster and then it goes from a home invasion to uh like a uh, sit on the couch therapy session between this monster and Samantha Sloyan's character. Uh, it was just really odd and fascinating. And and ultimately, I, I think what it is, and, and that's another thing I really like about Creepshow, is the fact that you have so many issues that you can draw attention to with this, whether they be social issues, where they, whether they be uh, you know personal issues that people might be going through at some point. But to me, this really was a, an episode and a story about grief and the monster we create from our grief. Now, this in this story is a, a physical monster. Both Ruth Codd's character has it. Samantha Sloyan's character has her own grief monster because they've both gone through grief of some kind. But we sometimes create monsters out of our grief. And sometimes we hurt other people with our monster or our grief. Uh, we lash out at other people. We blame other people for, for what we've gone through. And then other times, like the Samantha Sloyan character, we keep our, our grief monster bottled up and locked up and hidden away and and in so we hide ourselves away and i think the scene could be said not just for grief but for trauma of any kind and the the episode kind of goes into that uh idea of opening up to one another asking people how they're doing and really mean it and getting to know their story and getting to know why they feel the way they do why they have the grief that they do and understanding their pain and this episode really runs off a cliff because there is no ending to it. It's just this episode ends with Samantha Sloyan's character and this monster, uh, Cassandra's monster, talking things out. And it does have some scary moments. It does have a lot of gore. It does have some tender moments and some introspective moments. And it has some moments where it's like, what, what the F am I watching? But ultimately, I still really enjoyed this. And I thought, you know, the writing, the directing, the acting was all really on point. And while it's not a traditional horror story, it, it does have elements of horror. And it does have elements that make you think about, you know, yourself the people around you, what they're going through, what you're going through. And what I think was a, an excellent way to start off this, this season. Now, the second story in this first episode is Smile. Uh, again, set in Pittsburgh. So, of course, some George Romero ties. But I, I like this one because this is kind of a, a story based off that uh, photographer, Kevin Carter. He won the Pulitzer Prize in 94 for this picture he took. And it's such a tragic picture and a controversial picture. It's this Sudanese girl who is starving and collapses on her way to a feeding center. And she's in the foreground and there's this vulture in the background waiting nearby, waiting for her to die so he can pick her bones. And it's just a heartbreaking picture and a sad picture. But Kevin Carter got a lot of shit for this as to, you know, you sit there and snap this picture while this this poor little girl is is dying, essentially, and you did nothing. You took the picture. You were ready for the shot and, and not helping this. And, of course, uh, Kevin Carter's life ended tragically, committed suicide three months after winning the Pulitzer Prize. He confessed in an interview that uh, after taking the photo, he lit a cigarette and, and talked to God and cried. And it just, uh, you know, a lot of people... People feel that the, the suicide was a result of his guilt. But but this story it really mirrors that. It's this guy who wins this award for this picture. It's a third world nation, probably somewhere down in South America. And this man is trying to save this child, carrying him across a river through this war-torn landscape. And you get a lot of flashbacks. And it was a similar situation where he could have helped save this child that this, this stranger is trying to save but he was more interested in taking the picture and getting the shot. And then when he looked back, they were both gone, presumably dead, probably dead. And it's 
a real mystery. I mean, you get those revelations towards the end. You wonder if something like that had happened. Uh, but it is a mystery leading up to the revelation and the involvement of his own child and the tragedy of, of what happens when he starts to hallucinate these ghosts from his past and find out that he's not attacking the ghosts from his past. He's attacking and killing his own child was just, uh, that was a, a different kind of horror. Now, the second episode is an episode comprised of two stories, the hat and grieving process. And I really love the hat because while this season doesn't have a Stephen King or a Joe Hill penned story, like some previous seasons have had, uh, this had a lot of Stephen King references. Uh, we meet this author, Jay Stratton, and his idol is Stephen Bachman, which is kind of a, a mashup of Stephen King and Richard Bachman, Stephen King's pen name. But Stephen Bachman is this master of horror that Jay Stratton wants to be, played by Ryan Beale, and he has a very Edgar Allan Poe look to him in this story. But I love the idea of once he gets this hat, this talisman that uh, allows him to write just like uh, Stephen Bachman, I, I thought that was very interesting. And it played into a lot of metaphor for addiction. And there's this notion that a lot of these great writers like Stephen King, like Hemingway, could only write their great works because they were under the influence at the time. Uh, Hemingway was a, a known alcoholic. Uh, Stephen King uh, dabbled in drugs and alcohol in his heyday. And there is kind of this idea that maybe these guys wouldn't have written the great works that they've had. Uh, Poe's another one that, you know, uh, has this reputation for alcohol and and drug abuse you know when he was writing his his great works and there's this notion that they they maybe wouldn't have written the things that they had the great uh, pieces of work that they had if they had not been under the influence i think it, it plays into that a little bit maybe i'm over over reading it but uh, i love the idea that there are these creatures in this in this hat and it is simultaneously feeding the person with this muse-like gift, but then feeding on them as well. And I thought the creature design was really good and and, and creepy as fuck. I I was uh, I was grossed out by some of it, and it you know I wish we could have spent a little bit longer on the creatures and seen some more creepy scenes with them. Now, grieving process was a good story because it was kind of hard to tell what it was. Was it a vampire story? Was it a ghoul story? Was it some sort of amalgamation of both? But you have this couple where the wife gets attacked and becomes a you know, a shell of her former self, a shell of the main character in this Richard, a shell of the woman that he loved. And she becomes violent and distant and uh, she starts hungering for blood and human flesh. And this certainly could be a metaphor for what happens to people, especially women, after being attacked and assaulted like this, whether it be a physical attack, whether it be a sexual attack. I don't think tie-in with the uh, hunger for human blood and flesh uh, really translate, but but I think there is a loose uh, metaphor there in this story. Then the revelation of who actually infected her—you kind of saw it coming a mile away, but it was still it was still interesting enough. And then the ending was really—it uh, was indicative of some of those great horror comic stories where you get the end of this story that you're going to see, but you know this is not the end of of what's going on and this this man Richard and the life he's going to have to live with this family he's always wanted but not the family that he thought he would have and now he has to now he's trapped feeding these two creatures of the night if you will i don't know like i said i'm not sure if they're supposed to be vampires or what they're supposed to be uh they're creepy the special effects makeup was was horrific and creepy and the blood and guts were uh, on full display in this one. And that's why not one of my favorite episodes or our favorite stories in this season, but still a really good solid story. Episode three is where we get kind of a yin and yang, where you have parent death trap 
and to grandmother's house we go, the two stories you get in this. And one really plays into like horror comedy. The other really plays into to some straight up horror. Even though it does have some, uh, I, I don't want to say comedic moments in it. Now, Parent Death Trap, it has to do with rich people. You've got this main character, Lyle, played by Dylan Sloan, and his two overbearing rich parents who you know he just wants to do his own thing and they want him to be just like them and he obviously doesn't want to be he ends up killing them after a a botched uh, setup for prom or homecoming or, or whatever it was and then they come back as ghosts so even in death he can't escape his overbearing parents. And it really was an interesting story about the girl who was supposed to be set up with meeting her years down the road. The revelation that she killed her parents and is trying to, to bilk him for money. Uh, it was it was really kind of a, a fun and funny uh, horror story because you had these ghosts of these annoying, nagging parents uh, just constantly riding his ass. It was actually quite funny, and, and the gore was good, and it was just a fun story, and it really did feel like uh, something you would get out of a horror comic. Even if horror comedy is not your thing, it was still an enjoyable watch, and, and the way it ended up, it ended up in, uh, you know, like I said with the last one, how you would expect a horror comic story to end up where even the good guy, even the protagonist isn't immune from meeting some horrible fate. And then when you get the horror of killing his parents, you get the horror of what goes on with this girl that he's interested in and what she's really up to uh, on top of the horror of his fate in this. It just, it makes for uh, multiple levels of horror in this, different kinds of levels and, and, and quite entertaining and funny levels of horror, which, which I really appreciated. Now to grandmother's house we go was uh, an interesting story and it Again, didn't have a ton of really well-known actors, but the young girl in that, Emma Oliver, you've probably seen her in a lot of different things. I mean, she's done uh, the Snowpiercer TV series. She has done several TV movies and shows at Resident Alien. She was in the Sonic the Hedgehog movie in the Supernatural TV series in 2020. So she's done a lot of work, but this essentially is a Little Red Riding Hood story. Only the big bad wolf and this is not who you seem you've got the the little girl ruby uh you know ruby red she kind of is the red riding hood character uh you've got her stepmother who is uh, a gold digger her father's passed you know ruby's father has passed away an older gentleman you think maybe she's the big bad wolf they do a lot of wolf puns in this talking about somebody chasing their tail or being bitten in the ass but it is the little red riding hood story but it is also a werewolf story and and i think that's where you got a lot of horror in this that scene where ruby and her stepmother are attacked on the road was really good. It it had some fun elements to it and some funny elements to it. You get to see this gold digger stepmother actually show like she cares about the little girl. So you almost start to to feel for her. But then that reveal at the end that uh, that Ruby was uh, obviously scratched or, or bitten by this werewolf that they come across, and she turns into a werewolf and turns on her stepmother was uh, was brutal and. The look on the grandmother's face was priceless. I thought the grandmother was going to be the werewolf. Uh, it turned out it was Ruby. I, I can't say I didn't completely see it coming, but they had a lot of things going on, a lot of red herrings that made you think that a lot of different people could have been the werewolf in this. And how it turned out, I thought, was was fun and a, a twist on the Red Riding Hood story, which I, I really enjoyed. And I thought this early, but I'm not completely convinced that Ruby wasn't a werewolf wolf all along because uh, just some of the things they said about her father and the grandmother seemed surprised but not that surprised. Now episode four had Meet the Belascos and Cheat Code. This was a, a really good episode. I really like this one. Uh, Meet the Belascos was a vampire story but it was vampires meets 
Romeo and Juliet. You have these two families, this vampire family, and this is in a world where vampires are known and a part of society. So there are also some immigration implications here and the, the racism and the bigotry that is involved in you know people of different races moving into towns. Even though everybody's primarily white in this, is a vampire family that moves in next door to a human family and, and they don't get along the human family is the the family that is totally against the vampires except for their son and he meets the vampire daughter and they fall in love uh and then it gets really really good where you get vampire hunters versus vampires and it has a a a great ending to it and it's a tragic ending as well where the the vampire girl sacrifices herself to save her human boyfriend i do wish that they could have got a little more emotional and horror mileage out of that end scene Uh, i wish the effects makeup because they did use a little cg to, to make the burning flesh, but I wish they would have had uh, her character burn up a little faster. That way, by the time she gets to the end, she is really decayed and burned, her flesh is burned away, and it, it could have looked more horrific. I wish you could have got a little more emotional collateral out of that scene as well. I don't think they played it up as emotional as it could have been, or, or maybe even should have been. But ultimately, I thought it was a really good episode. This is one that John Esposito uh, wrote and directed, and, and I've always enjoyed his stuff. And hands down, best line of the series. The mother vampire talking to the uh, the racist human next door. She says, we're not from Transylvania. We're from Pennsylvania. <laughs> it was so... So delightfully cheesy and just so delightfully campy and being from Pennsylvania myself, uh, you know, how can you not be proud of that? Cheat Code was also a good one. It was a little predictable though, and it felt very much like it drew from a lot of influences. There's this video game called Weird Wednesday. Uh, It was pulled from the shelves and buried in the desert, kind of like that E.T. video game for Atari back in the 80s. No one has ever reached the final level. It kind of felt like Bishop of Battle from that uh, anthology movie Nightmares. And the fact that you uh, use this cheat code and you essentially get sucked into the game. It felt uh, like an homage to Bishop of Battle. It wasn't exactly like it. That's why I say it's an homage. They weren't ripping it off by any stretch. But this was definitely influenced by a lot of those things in pop culture. But there again, this is another episode that deals with grief. You have this father and son that they they lost their wife slash mother. The father just wants to spend time with his kid. His kid, you know, doesn't want to spend time with his old man. And they start to bond over this old video game that he used to play growing up, but is actually really good at. But like you kind of saw the the whole thing coming where the kid gets sucked into the video game and the father has to go into the video game to save him. Uh, the effects were there again, this is one that was kind of a mixture of practical effects but then it had some cg effects uh those weren't bad they just weren't terribly elaborate so it really felt like this episode could have felt a lot bigger and you could have felt more like they were in the video game than they actually they showed and this is one of the rare episodes where there was a happy ending i think you kind of need to have a happy ending once in a while not everybody can meet their untimely demise or get sent off to jail for for murder someone and have to live with ghosts but uh, I really did enjoy this episode in its entirety but meet the Belascos was probably the best story in this episode cheat code though was still really good episode five had something borrowed something blue and doodles both episodes I really enjoyed the Something Borrowed, uh, one of the rare episodes in this season that had a well-known actor, Tom Atkins, who's uh, no stranger to horror fans. Of course, I think I probably first knew him from Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. He's gone on to do so many. I mean, he's done a lot of movies over the years before Halloween and and TV. And and since then, he's done a lot of horror as well. And is a, is a horror fan favorite, as, especially for his work in Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, which is one of those movies that really has uh, been more appreciated over time than I think it initially was. But this is a story about long game revenge. It's about children holding things against their parents 
parents. It's got a rich versus poor theme to it. It's a little Lovecraftian in this creature that you have to feed every, what was it, 15 years, I believe. You do feel some sympathy for Tom Atkins' character in this, but ultimately he's kind of painted as a bad guy for for asking his daughter's fiance, then husband, to take over for him as the caretaker for this this creature, the Minicow, and feed it every 15 years. He's kind of painted as a bad guy for wanting to keep the world safe. And then the Allison character and her fiance husband both characters just weren't very likable and i think that is probably why i like this nihilistic ending because they turn on her father and sacrifice him to uh, a different minicow but her father's minicow it, it got a little rushed and confusing at the not a, not really confusing just rushed at the end it felt like they they spent all this time leading up to this and they're like oh shit we only have like 20 minutes, 25 minutes for this episode. We got to speed things along in the third act and especially in the climax of this. But I like how, you know, the, the two characters that aren't very likable in this win and ultimately they don't win because the mini cow that her father had wasn't fed, gets out and attacks. It's probably going to destroy them in the world. Not a bad story. Uh, like I said, this is a story I wish they would have had a little more time to to flesh out the ending and, and not feel so rushed. And while the Minicow they showed at the end was all CG, it wasn't horrible and, and they kept it brief and quick so you really couldn't see how CG it was. But I, I almost wish it, it could have been done in some sort of practical way, whether it be with miniatures or whatnot. I, I'm not quite sure. I just wasn't terribly happy with the look of the creature at the end. This is a very Lovecraftian story and it didn't feel like a, a Lovecraftian creature, which I think I was kind of hoping that would be. Now, the other story in this episode, Doodles, uh, was really good. It, it reminded me of that episode of Amazing Stories. And I can't remember what the name of it was, but it's one set during World War II where you have this bomber plane that's that's carrying these uh, soldiers. The guy gets stuck in the gun turret, and he draws the wheels that magically come out and save himself and the crew it kind of reminded me of that where you have an artist whose artwork comes to life and comes to fruition only this a lot more grisly and a lot more gory than that amazing stories episode but i i really enjoyed this because it played into the whole idea of you know what can happen the the fate you'll meet if you use your talents for evil instead of good, uh, for lack of a better term. You have this main character. She's an aspiring artist, and she keeps hitting roadblocks. And in her anger, she draws unfortunate fates to those roadblocks. And, and in the end, inadvertently draws something tragically happening to herself. And this is one where like the visual effects, the special effects, I should say, the, the practical effects were bloody and gory when the publisher falls to his death and his head splatters all over everything. It's gory and horrifying. When she draws in the yearbook, the, the champagne bottle stuck in the throat of this guy who uh, you know, was going to be her friend and her, her ally in this until he found out what she did to the, the publisher. And then inadvertently she finds out that in drawing on his picture in the high school yearbook, it bled through to her picture on the page behind his. And that was a really interesting twist that I liked. So this, probably my favorite story of this episode, Doodles. Uh, not that I didn't like something borrowed, something blue, but I think this, uh, from a start to finish, complete story that was paced well. I thought this was the better story. Uh, if something borrowed, something blue, I had really kind of fleshed out that end or spent a little less time on setup and a little more, gave the ending a little more time. I know they're crunched for time with these but uh, I think that story would have been just as good. And then we come to the final episode of the season, the season finale, which has George Romero in 3D and Baby Teeth. Now, the George Romero in 3D, I thought was an interesting idea. This one, again, is directed by Greg Nicotero because he is such a, a student of George Romero. I, I thought it was interesting, the struggling bookshop, and they find this box 
full of old 3D comics. And, and on the box it says, Image 10, Pittsburgh, PA, George Romero's, you know, film company. They find these old 3D comics and these old 3D glasses that George Romero was working on before his death and never got to completely publish. And the interesting thing is, is uh, I was watching an interview with Greg Nicotero, and he said that George Romero was actually really fascinated by 3D and actually had planned on doing a couple 3D movies, but just never got to it before he died. But he was uh, a really big fan of 3D, and so that kind of played into this. I love that the 3D glasses look like George Romero's big Harry Carey-style wide-frame glasses. It was also something interesting because these are zombie comics, and when you look at these zombie comics with these 3D glasses, it pulls the zombies out of the comics and into the real world, which that is interesting in and of itself, but I thought it was really kind of cool that they played it that you couldn't see these zombies with the naked eye. These were invisible zombies. The only way you could see them is if you put these 3D glasses on. That was an interesting twist. I don't know as if it was used to its full effect. I, I think there was uh, a lot of good things they did with it. But I would like to have seen more. Uh, I think this is something where they could have sunk a little more money into it, uh, a little more time into this story, that it, it could have been really something special. Not that it wasn't good, uh, but it just, uh, like I said, it just felt like it could have gone further. But this is a really cool episode. You know, it, it plays out, uh, you know, like your typical zombie apocalypse type episode. And not necessarily an apocalypse, but zombies versus human type episode. Uh, the cool aspects of it, one, were all of the George Romero references. References to his movies, references to his other characters. Uh, they did a lot with that, which I thought was really fun. And also, they pull a George Romero, an animated George Romero from the comic. And... This was kind of cool uh, because it wasn't like a typical, like a cartoon version of George Romero. It was very stylized. It was very uh, aha, take on me. And it would have been really cool if they could have done it how Greg Nicotero intended on doing it. Because as of the, the show, the episode that we get, the animation is based on a person that looks like George Romero. And then they brought somebody else in to voice the character that sounds quasi like George Romero. It works, but I know Greg Nicotero wanted to take like some stock audio of George Romero doing interviews and cobble together the audio using George Romero's real voice. I know he found later that he had like some footage, like just hours of George Romero doing this interview and just realized that it was too little too late. He couldn't uh, take the time to do what he wanted to do. But that's what he wanted to do. I think that would have been really cool. They used that sort of technique with the Night of the Living Late Show in season two, which I thought was done to really good effect. I think that would have probably made this episode even better. As it is, it's a, it's a good episode. It's definitely a love letter to George Romero. It's a love letter to George Romero's works. And anybody who's a fan of George Romero is going to appreciate it for that. Uh, like I said, the acting is a little not great. The dialogue is not as good as I would like it to be. And I don't know if that is a knock against Todd Spence and Zach White, who wrote this episode. Uh, they also wrote the Doodles episode. Uh, I don't know if it's a knock against them. I, I don't think it is. Like I said, I think they really wrote this to feel like it was part of an old EC comic horror story. Or an old horror comic tale that you would have read back in the, the 60s. I don't think they just wrote bad dialogue. I think it was stiff dialogue for the purpose of sounding like it was from a, a comic book, which is the, the creep show format. So while I didn't love this as much as I wanted to, I think there was a lot of potential here. I just wish they would have had a little bit more time to do things uh, a different way. And I, I would imagine at least some of them, like I said, with the you know George Romero archival audio, I know Greg Nicotero wanted to do that. I think if they would have had time to do that, if they would have had time to do other things with these invisible zombies. I mean, they already did some cool things. The one scene where you see the guy floating there, bent back over, and an invisible zombie biting into him, or somebody's neck being bitten into with nothing there. Those were some really cool 
practical effects. Uh, I wish that we just could have got more of that. I think they handled the invisible zombies well. I just needed more. And of course, the final story in this final episode of Creepshow Season 4 uh, called Baby Teeth. It was an interesting story. I, I just wish there was more time to flesh out some things because this was a story that delved into a lot of lore that it wasn't made clear in the most effective way. You got some lines of exposition. You got some things you kind of piece together by by seeing what's going on. You got some more lines of bad exposition. And, and I can't chalk that up to just, well, where they're just writing it to sound like it was in a comic book. I mean, you can to a degree, because that's kind of how things go in comic books. You get lines of exposition that don't really fit in. But this was like, I just I just didn't feel like you got a, a clear, concise explanation for what is going on. There's a mother and daughter that you, you don't really like either one of them. The, the daughter is a snotty teen. The mother is not crazy, but she's just overbearing and overprotective. You don't completely understand why. She has these weird necklaces. She keeps men mentioning iron keeps them away. The mother saves all her daughter's baby teeth for some unspecified and unexplained reason. There's a play into the tooth fairy and, and the fae. There's a mention of changelings. You get a lot of the pieces of the puzzle, you're just not sure where those pieces are supposed to fit together. Now, what I will say, though, is the Tooth Fairy creature, uh, or the Fae creature that they have, I mean, it comes to life inexplicably from her old baby teeth and some hair? I don't know. The creature is disgusting looking, and I mean that in the best way. The the special effects, the practical effects on that, uh, that K&B did, were just out of sight. The thing looked creepy and gory. I wish, there again, I wish we could have got a little more of it, but they had some really interesting shots where you catch a little bit of the, the eye, and then you get the full full figure of this this creature again i just I, I wish we could have a little more time with this creature in the story and then there's this box that her mother the the main girl's mother was keeping the teeth in that she smashes it and the fake creature dies and then changes into a human baby and she says oh you're a changeling and it just i i, <laughs> I think this story just needed uh, a little more fleshing out. Uh, I think it needed more time. I think they were trying to do too much. I think they were trying to add too much lore and they didn't have enough time to do it. And I think a lot of lines of dialogue and a lot of connective tissue got cut out. I think this story had a lot of potential and look and style-wise, it was really good. I just don't think there was enough time to really explain what they needed to explain or there wasn't enough time to arrange the pieces in a way that made sense to the story. So, all in all, I thought Creep Show Season 4 was a really solid season. It had some episodes and some stories that I really enjoyed. 20 Minutes with Cassandra and Smile I thought were really good. The Hat and Grieving Process I thought were really good. Doodles was really good. Meet the Belascos was really good. Then you had, you know, the rest of them, you know, Parent Death Trap. To Grandmother's House We Go, Cheat Code, Something Borrowed, Something Blue were solid. George Romero in 3D, I think it had a lot of potential. I just wish they would have had more time with that. Uh, Baby Teeth is another one where uh, it, it had a lot of potential. They did a lot of good things with it. I just think they just needed more time with those. I, I think those probably could have been complete hour-long episodes by themselves, so you really could have fleshed some some story out with those. But like I said, all in all, season four, a really solid season, and a season I enjoyed, and you know, I can't wait for the next season. Hopefully, you don't have to wait a couple years for season number five. Hopefully, they get to work on that right away. I know they worked on season two and three back-to-back -back, uh, simultaneously, so I... I'm not expecting that, but I really can't wait. Uh, I know Greg Nicotero is working on the Daryl Dixon show as well, so he's got that going on. But uh, one of the things I really liked about this season was the fact that each episode, each story felt different from the others. You didn't feel like you got a bunch of zombie sh episodes. You didn't feel like you got a bunch of vampire episodes or a bunch of serial killer episodes. Each episode and each story within those episodes really felt like it was a different type of story from the other. And, and I know that is, you know, that's indicative of 
an anthology series where you have different writers, different directors. Each thing is going to feel different and like its own thing, but it didn't really feel like they rehashed any material in this. Every story felt like it was its own thing compared to all the other stories. You didn't feel like you got too much of the same thing in this season, which I, I really appreciated that. And the other thing I loved about this is wonderful stories, fun stories, uh, some scares, some laughs, some shock value. You know, KNB does wonderful work with the practical effects in Creepshow. And I, I think if you're a fan of practical effects, uh, then you're going to love Creepshow, or that's probably why you love Creepshow. I know that's why I love Creepshow, is because of some of the great stories and some of the practical effects. And yeah, like I said, you get some good scares, but you also get some fun. And I think that is really the essence of what you want in a an anthology series that is based on a horror comic, because horror comics had some disturbing shit in them. But they also had a lot of fun and a lot of, you know, a lot of funny moments and a lot of oh my god moments. And you get that with this. And that is why this season I thought was a, an excellent season because you got all those things. You got all those benchmarks for good horror comics in a TV series. And that's probably why I love this series so much. So I want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts on Creep Show Season 4. You can check it out now on Shudder if you haven't. And if you have, hopefully you enjoyed it as much as I did. Like I said, I know ranking things is all subjective and different stories are all subjective. I liked the different things that they did with all these different stories. You may like a particular brand of horror better than a different brand of horror, but for my money, I think all the stories were good, and hopefully you enjoyed them, like I said, as much as I did. So I want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts on uh, Creep Show Season 4. You can check out more on Odds Bondkin's Curiosity Shop on our social media pages, Facebook and Instagram. We're always posting stuff about horror fantasy and science fiction. No matter where you listen to this episode, please leave a review. Five stars would be awesome, but uh, please leave those reviews. Also, like, subscribe, follow, whatever your particular platform of choice calls it when it comes to podcasts that do that that way you can stay on top of all that's going on with the new episodes that drop weekly and most importantly share this podcast with anyone that you know that loves horror fantasy and science fiction if you're on a facebook page or an instagram page or twitter or wherever and somebody's saying hey what's a good horror uh, podcast or a good fantasy or good science fiction podcast to listen to uh, feel free to to say our name uh if you're listening to this so i mean you must enjoy it to some degree, uh, share that with anyone else that you think might like horror fantasy and science fiction. And we do appreciate you spreading the word and helping us uh, you know, build this audience back up. So I want to thank everyone for listening. And until next time. Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha!